Well, family, let's go ahead and prepare our hearts for the Word of God. Uh, But before we go to the Word of God, I wonder what it may look like for us as a church family to consider being the people of God to assist other groups of people of God. Of course, our hearts have been struck and saddened by the plight of what's going on over in Europe as Ukraine and Russia are locked in this battle. Uh, We don't claim to have any kind of political insight into this whatsoever, but we do understand that people are dying and people are hurting and we refuse to sit and do nothing. We've been talking with institutions that we are partnered with, learning as to how the churches that believe in Jesus and believe in the Bible are doing and what it will mean for us as a church family to come alongside those churches and help them to translate the gospel and meet the needs of hurting people. So what I want to do for this moment is simply pray for the people of Ukraine before we go into our sermon today, but also by way of announcement, ask you to tune back in next weekend. Southwest will be partnering with an institution known as the Convoy of Hope. The Convoy of Hope, much like the Red Cross and other disaster relief organizations, comes alongside gospel-centered churches to help them meet the needs of others in their surrounding communities. Think helping the people who are on the ground, trying to be salt and light and delivering goods and services to the people of Ukraine as they go through this, this terrible tragedy of what's happening. So next weekend, we'll be raising a special offering over and above your regular giving to Southwest just to bless Southwest efforts to be salt and light over in Ukraine. And obviously next weekend you'll hear a lot more detail as to what that looks like for us. We don't quite know what the future is for that area of the world, but we do foresee that it may be a longer battle than a shorter one for those people there. And so our hearts are breaking for them and we'll be able to help them in a tangible way next weekend. But for now, would you quiet your heart before we go to God's word and let us lift up the plight of our brothers and sisters overseas in these war-torn nations. Let's pray. Father God, you had said in the word that there will be wars and rumors of wars. And Father God, as we consider, Lord Jesus, the plight of people being displaced, lives being lost, and bombs being flown over the nation of Ukraine, our hearts are hurting. And God, I cannot imagine the pain and the agony and the fear that has been set in the hearts, Lord Jesus, of millions of people there. So Jesus, we pray, God, be at your will. Would you intervene? And God, would you turn this thing around and would you bring peace to that land? Father God, it seems that the world, Lord Jesus, is just all ablaze, as you said it would be. But Lord God, you said as well, Father God, that you would bring revival in the midst of these dark times. And I pray that for the churches in Ukraine. I pray that for the churches in Russia, that Lord God, you would anoint your people to be salt and light, to minister to people, to meet the needs of people, Lord Jesus, and Lord God, spare lives and change hearts. Father, as the people of God, we petition your throne now to bless and move. And God, if there be a door of opportunity for us, your kids, your children, Lord God, to minister to our brothers and sisters there, show us that way, show us that path, because God, you care about the whole entire world. And Lord Jesus, as we continue to go through what we're going through, we do not forget those, Lord Jesus, who are going through even darker circumstances than we. Bless, we pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Family, thank you so much for keeping your hearts tuned to the needs of others. Uh, And as we talk about that, that's kind of the focus of our opportunity we have in the word today. 
this idea of ministering to the needs of others through discipleship. That's our mission as a church. We love discipleship. And today we're kind of landing the plane on the first of four series that talks about how Southwest does discipleship. One of the things we've been saying the last few weeks is that God is dreaming a dream over your life. You, whoever's watching right now, God is dreaming this dream over your life. And it looks like this. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God is dreaming this dream that you'll come into this knowledge of what Jesus has done for you, but then live your life on mission to bring others around you into that knowledge of Jesus Christ is what we call discipleship. And when we say planted, rooted, growing, going, we are talking about this biblical pathway, this arc of gospel movement that God has destined for every person. So the whole idea of the planet series, the call to salvation, and then rooted next weekend, and then growing, and then going, is this whole idea for us to illustrate and give you clarity as to where you are with Jesus and how we as a church help you get to the next step on your journey. That's all that we mean when we say discipleship pathway planted, rooted, growing, and going. So before we even jump to our passage, in fact, by the the way, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 today. Before we even go there, we've been talking about planted, the call to salvation, and answering that call that Jesus has on your life. Well, maybe you've always wanted to know how Southwest shows up to help people get planted in the gospel. Some of this will be obvious to you, but some of these may be some new things that we do here as a ministry to show up to help you get planted in the gospel. This is how we help you get planted. Well, the first thing is obvious. I pray every Sunday, every weekend, we preach Jesus at this church. We preach Jesus. We preach the gospel. We give you constant invitations to accept this gospel. Every sermon, every Bible study, every small group focus, every time we gather, Jesus is the hero of what we do. That's how we help people get planted more than anything else. But secondly, we have prayer and support for you after every moment we worship together. In fact, you're watching now online, uh, but there are several of our people who are trained and ready to pray with you, even in those little chat boxes, or even set you up to speak with you after the service, to continue engaging, to make sure all your questions about Jesus are answered, all your questions about scripture are answered, so that you may freely and boldly come into a relationship with Jesus. We preach Jesus. We have prayer and support after every services. We also have what we call Planet Class. It's our new believers class. Every Sunday, 9.30 a.m. here at Southwest, both in the room and online, we have a class, a gathering of people who are considering what it means to trust Jesus. A lot of those folks are just seekers, just trying to learn who Jesus is, what he's about. Some have come to faith, but just want to know what it means to be in the Christian faith. Some are doubters, and that's okay. It's a safe place for you to learn about the gospel of Jesus. And then finally, or penultimately, we have the pastor of the day ministry at Southwest Church. Did you know that at any given day, you don't need an appointment whatsoever to speak with a pastor? People always ask me, are you the pastor? I'm always like, I'm one of 13. (laughs) God has blessed this church with 13 skillful, Jesus-loving, experienced pastors to service you. You can call this church anytime during regular hours, any day of the week, including holidays, and a pastor is ready to speak with you, counsel with you, love on you, and nurture your walk with Jesus. 
And here soon we're going to be starting a coffee with the Jenkins. It's going to be a monthly moment where April and myself just meet with newcomers to the church. We're going to be doing that online as well. Why? We want you to get planted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We understand that many of you have come to Saving Faith. In fact, since Christmas Eve, 300 people over 300 people have come to Saving Faith in Jesus. In the last two months, Jesus has saved over 300 people through this ministry. And some of you watching are part of that 300. You're saved. You've put your trust and faith in Jesus. And maybe you've been begging the question, now what do I do? What are the big things God calls me to pursue when I put my trust and faith in him? And the whole design of today's sermon is to answer that question, now what, after you get planted? Uh, the answer comes from the writer of Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, the only anonymous book in the New Testament. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some say Paul, some say Apollo, some say Luke, some say others. We don't know, but he levied such challenges against the people of God. He bruised them so bad. <sighs> I know that was a dad joke and it was lame, but go with me. But he's writing to Jewish Christians who are undergoing persecution so much so that they're thinking about turning back to their Mosaic um, Jewish faith. And he writes them to remind them of the goodness of Jesus. And in so doing, he writes to us these words here. Now the word of the Lord, the writer says, therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I have read from the greatest book ever written. And I bear witness this day, all of its words are true. Amen and amen. Family, um, one of the most healthiest, one of the most rewarding things you can do in your spiritual journey is to never forget and always remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. I'm going I'm to say that again. One of the most healthiest things, one of the most rewarding things you can do in your walk is to never forget and always remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. It is one of the most crucial rhythms of your life is to rehearse the good news of what Jesus has done for you. So the question is asked, what has Jesus done for you? I'll tell you through the story of two little girls. There were two little girls living at home with mom and, and dad. And of course, it was a regular old day. However, this day, the girls could not cease their misbehaving. I mean, these girls were getting in trouble all day. When they were told to sit down, they would stand up. When they were told to be quiet, they would talk loud. They were acting up much to the chagrin of their parents. And it just so happened to be Thanksgiving Day. And they were excited about eating dinner that day. All the, the fixings were set, right? The smoked turkey with the cornbread dressing and the giblet gravy adorned with cranberry sauce, not the homemade stuff, but 
the can from the dollar store, the kind of cranberry sauce that Jesus ate, and the candied yams, and the smoked ham, and of course the green bean casserole, and the the black-eyed peas, and the greens, and cornbread, and the red velvet cake, you name it, it was there. And finally, they're coming down, but they're bickering, and arguing, and misbehaving, and finally dad has had enough, and dad says to his little girl's girls, go home or go upstairs to your room. You are not going to have Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, Downed and dejected and defeated, these girls have to walk up the long flight of stairs to their room. They are just depressed as to the fact that they've lost out on having a seat at this wonderful table. And it's just then that their mom says the unthinkable. She yells upstairs, girls, come back down. Your daddy said you could have dinner After all, they march down sheepishly, bewildered by this surprise turn of events. And as they're coming down, they're recognizing that their dad is getting up, going to their room. It is then that they look at their mom and say, Mom, where's dad going? And it's then that mom says, well, dad's going up to your room. They're befuddled by this. What do you mean he's going up to our room? And mom says to them, well, dad loves you. And dad really wanted you to enjoy this Thanksgiving meal. But here was dad's problem. Dad has a standard and he refuses to let go of his standard. So girls, what he decided to do was pay the price that you owed. And he's going to go up and sit in your room and swap places with you so you can have a seat at the table. Girls, enjoy the meal, but never forget this. Your father paid the price. Friend, I want to announce you that 2,000 years ago, we were misbehaving. And everything said that we were to be sent to our room. But the gospel tells me on a cross, hallelujah, called Calvary, Jesus Christ took our place so that trust and faith in him, we might be granted a seat at God's table. And one of the most incumbent things the believer can do is never forget that your father paid the price. As we come to our passage The author here is writing to Christians who are wavering in their faith, consider going back to what they used to know. But even as a mom was reminding little girls, never forget your father paid the price. The author is reminding these little Christians, never forget Jesus paid the price for you. And he's worth staying with even when the season of life is wavering on you. I want to talk about what it means to be saved, but to move forward in your salvation. And in so doing, I want to do the following three reminders everybody needs to hear today. Table of contents for our time together. The author is telling the church here to remember what you have, to remember what we do, and to remember how we do it. I'd like to tag this text, how you get planted. Let's pray. Father, I bless your name. And I pray, God, that you would bless this hour of worship in the word. Holy Spirit, Father, would you take over this sermon? Because you've not promised to bless the mere antics of mere men, but you have promised to bless, Lord God, the truth of the word. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts now and change our lives through the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. And every heart said, amen. Family, let's go ahead and get to it. I'm looking at a clock. It says 13 minutes and 16 seconds left. So let's go ahead and work through what God wants us to work through today as we continue now through our planted series, The Call to Salvation. Uh, The first, I think, call that the author of Hebrews chapter 10 is making to us, watch this now, is to remember what you have. I talk about that word remember all the time. It's the idea of re, again, 
member part, remembering is you doing the work to put the parts of the truth back together again. And I think that's the first call in our passage is to remember what we have. Why? We're forgetful. We're forgetful. I forget, you forget, all of God's children forget. And I bet in the next couple of seconds, I'm about to tell every last one of our stories because what happens is Jesus saves us. Jesus plants us in the gospel. He redeems us. Remember when you first came into the knowledge of Jesus? Remember what it was like when your heart was strangely warmed and you came into relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Remember that first week? It was revival. Your heart was set free. Your destiny was realized. You finally had an eternal position in Christ. And it's just a beautiful thing. But you know what? Life happens. Stuff happens. Ups and downs happen. And before you know it, all of a sudden, you're just kind of enthralled by all of the pursuits of life and the ways of the world. And it's in those moments that it just gets easy to forget just how good God is. When you come to the text, that's what you need to feel for these people who are the recipients of this letter. Life has been happening. And you think life is happening for you? Life for them was on the tinges of persecution. They're going through ups and downs. And as a result, they are forgetting how good God is and what God has done for them. So the writer truly writes this entire book to remind them of what they have in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we got to go to the classroom for a little bit, but I just promise you we're going to church. But just make sure you understand that this whole idea is to make sure we remember what we have in Jesus Christ. Notice our first word in our passage, verse 19, is the word therefore. And then, of course, he begins to kind of celebrate, right, this notion that we have this confidence that there ought to be for you and I who put our trust and faith in Jesus. He's celebrating this confidence we ought to have in our journey. And of course, as we move on, he's saying move on in Christ, celebrating this confidence that we have. And even when you peruse chapter 10, You you kind of ascertain this notion, right, that he's calling us to something, right? He's calling us to something. Look at verse 20. He says, there's a new and living way for you in Jesus. Verse 21, he celebrates Jesus as the great priest over your life. This idea that you ought to keep moving on and getting to know this new and living way, getting to know this great priest. And when you hear priest, think intercessor and think covering and think advocate, think waymaker, this idea that Jesus just didn't come into your life to save you, but he came into your life to be a priest over you, hallelujah, who shepherds you through every step of the way in your life. But go back to verse 19. He starts the argument with the word, therefore. One of the lessons we learned for those of us who went to Sunday school back in the day was whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you got to beg the question, what is it there for? And a closer study will reveal that for nine chapters, the author has been laboriously exhausting this argument that Jesus Christ is head and shoulders above anything or anyone else you can experience in your life, regardless of the most inestimable joy you have experienced in your life. He's saying Jesus is above that joy. He is celebrating that more than anything else you're going to encounter in your life, Jesus Christ and a saving knowledge with him is better than that. For nine chapters, he's been doing this. Now, 
The point is this, for people like the people in our text who are wavering in their faith, consider turn their backs on Jesus, this was the right message at the right time that regardless of what you're considered turning to, Jesus is still better. Stay with me. He's saying to these Jewish Christians, regardless of what you're considering turning to, Jesus is better. That's the whole argument. Indeed, we kind of break it down. The whole central rhetorical motif, three $20 words, meaning the tactic that he uses is to dramatize how much better Jesus is than anything else that they're considering. So much so that the word better or the word greater or the word more than, this comparative analysis he's using, he uses a total of 25 times in the book of Hebrews. He's saying essentially every page of Hebrews, Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than him. Jesus is better than her. Jesus is better. And who needs to hear that today? Because some of you watching are wavering. And you know what? Other options are looking real tasty right now. But God sent this message to tell you, regardless of what you're considering turning to, hallelujah, Jesus is better. And in the letter, we see that, don't we? Chapters 1 and 2, he says to these Jews, these Jewish Christians, Jesus is better than angels. Chapter 3, he says Jesus is better than Moses or the Mosaic law. Chapter 4, Jesus is better than the Sabbath and any kind of ritualistic expression that you're trying to find peace in. Chapters 4 through 7, Jesus is better than the Aaronic priesthood, this whole earthly priesthood covering the, the, the priesthood of Aaron or what some call Aaron. Okay, Jesus is better than all of these things. Now, what was the message to Jewish Christians who are thinking about going back to the Jewish religion? Here it is. Don't settle for an aspect of religion when you now have the object of religion. What's the message to Christians, modern day Christians in 2022 is this. Don't settle, believer, for a cheap imitation of hope when you now know the one true hope. Jesus is his name. How many times have you and I been guilty of knowing where hope is, knowing where peace is, knowing where joy is, only in Jesus, only to settle for a lesser version of joy? Is anybody smelling what I'm stepping in? And so he works in chapter 10 to remind them. Chapter uh, 10, verse 16, he says, we have a covenant with God. Remember what we have. We have a covenant with God. Where am I going with this translation? You have an eternal guarantee that the moment, believer, that you put your trust and faith in Jesus, something happened in the heavenlies. Once you put your trust and faith in Jesus, theologians say you were justified, which means God changed your status. The moment you put your faith in him, he changed your status from sinner to saint, from darkness to light, from guilt to innocence, from hell bound to heaven bound, from broken to whole. He changed my name. He made a covenant with you. And here's the good news about Jesus making a covenant. He'll never break it. Numbers 23, 19, he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man 
that he should repent. John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, once they are in Christ, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Hear the good news of the gospel, folks. You have a covenant with God, which means you are eternally secure. When you die and go to heaven, you will die and go to heaven. It is a guarantee. He will never change his mind. That's good news. Remember what you have. Verse 16, he says, the laws will be on your heart. Translation is the metaphor for this notion that you now have a personal relationship with the God of heaven. That's what salvation means. It means that you have access to Jesus. He writes his laws on your heart. Translation, once I put my faith in Jesus, I don't need anybody or anyone or anything else to get to Jesus. I have access for myself. I don't need a priest. I don't need a building. I don't need you. I don't need him. I don't need a certain education or a certain cachet. All I need is to open up my heart and I have access to God forever. Stocks will go up and down. Wars will go up and down. Economies will go up and down. Politics will go up and down. But I will be tethered in relationship to Jesus forever. That's what I have. Because you have a covenant with God You have laws in your heart. Here's the granddad of them all. Verse 17, I will never again remember their sins. Folks, what's the whole point? Jesus is better than anyone or anything else you're considering turning back to. And I didn't want to put this in the sermon, but I didn't have peace until I wrote it. And so I'm going to go ahead and say it because some of us need to hear it today. You're a Christian, but you're wavering. And God sent this word to remind you, He's still better. Jesus is better than that affair. Jesus is better than acting out with lust and porn. Jesus is better than abusing that alcohol or that drug. Jesus is better than accumulating material things so you can feel a sense of satisfaction. Jesus is better than perceiving your worth through the career that you can establish, through the bank account that you can amount, through the, through the fame that you can have with others. Jesus is better than the suicide and the lies that come with suicide, that that will be better. Jesus is better than anyone or anything that you can have, remember what you have. So he moves forward then, does he not, to say, remember then what we do. Remember who you have. Now remember what you do in light of what we have. And what should we do? He says, keep going in Christ. Some of you just needed to hear this. If you're stagnated in your faith, if you're at a standstill in your faith, you know what faith is? Faith moves. Faith keeps moving. Even when I don't feel it, I'm going to keep following him. Even when I don't see it, I'm going to keep looking for his hand. Even if it doesn't feel good right now, I'm going to trust that he is good right now and I will move forward in my faith. Keep going with the Christ. No wonder, verse 22, he says, let us then draw near. Get that? With full assurance, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Stay with me. The verbal phrase, draw near, is the Greek word proserkomai. Proserkomai, P-R-O-S-E-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. Proserkomai, prefix pros means to move towards. 
erkamai verb is the idea of approach and pursuit. It's the idea of always moving towards Jesus. And I wanted to just encourage you that when it gets tough and when persecution happens and when you're considering turning your back, Jesus says, proserkamai me, draw near, keep on moving, keep on trusting in him, keep on worshiping, keep on opening up that Bible, keep on praying because it's only a matter of time till God's going to show up well in your life and move and turn things around. The whole idea is keep your eyes on Jesus. Where he moves, you move. What he says, you say. Because when you're in trouble, it's real easy to consider other options. When you're in trouble and you got a burden on you, other options look delicious. But Jesus says, I'm better than the other options. So keep your eyes on Jesus. We're in this pandemic and now there's war breaking out and I know it gets so easy just to throw in the towel and give up. But I remind you of a pandemic a hundred years ago, the Spanish flu, when a songwriter wrote this famous hymn when she wrote these words, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What was the message? Turn your eyes. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let me illustrate this. Let's do a Michael Jordan illustration because we hadn't done enough of those. Um, back in the late 90s or the 90s, when Jordan is becoming the phenom he is today, NBC, who covered most of the Bulls games, decided to do something very different. Uh, what they did was they hired an entire set of additional cameramen to film Michael Jordan's games. There was a whole set of extra cameramen who were employed for this one purpose, keep all of your cameras focused on Jordan. No matter what was going on in the rest of the game, these cameramen had one job, keep the eyes of the camera on Jordan. It was such a drastic move. It was a costly move. And of course, the director of sports programming at NBC was sat down and begged the question, why in the world would you do this? To which he replied this, history has taught us that Michael Jordan has a fantastic track record. And no matter what situation the Bulls find themselves in, we've learned that it's just a matter of time till Jordan does the impossible and turns the game around. God told me to tell you that if NBC has enough sense to keep their cameras on Michael Jordan, you and I ought to have enough sense to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ because history has proven that Jesus has a fantastic track record. And there's only a matter of time, no, what, no matter what situation your life may be in, until Jesus is going to do the impossible and turn the game of your life around. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what we do. We keep our eyes on him. Of course, the question, Ricky, I get that. How? How do I keep my eyes on Jesus? I get it. I want to do that. But how? what's the mechanism that God has prescribed for the believer to keep our eyes on Jesus? Well, the author says you keep your eyes on Jesus by being a part of the local church. He says this is how we do it. Can I get a Montel Jordan witness? We keep our eyes on Jesus by keeping our heart in the church. This is how we do it. Look at verses 24 and 25. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Fasten your heart to Scripture, church. He's saying when it comes to church, when it comes to the gathering of the saints, when it comes to the Christian community of God being with one another, he says, don't neglect this. This is crucial, he says. Don't neglect this, he says. Don't forsake this, he says. This is important. This is a lifeline for you, he says. C.S. Lewis, the great, the great literary writer, an avowed atheist, but became a Christian, said this. He said, the New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. We are forbidden to neglect the assembling of ourselves together. I love that line. He says, the New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. And you see that in the passage, right? Have you noticed how many times the writer says, let us? Right? There's just this assumption that the church is a community of people, that Christians are constantly in community with other God-fearing people. He says, let us draw near. He says, let us hold fast. He says, let us consider. It's just this assumption that there's going to be a richness in the usness of the church. <laughs> there's something that happens when you and I gather together in the name of the Lord. So let me kind of download some axioms to settle these things in our spirit. Look at this on screen. Keep your eyes on Jesus by keeping your heart in Jesus's church. When your heart is not watered by the church, your heart will be dried out by the world. St. Cyprian, great church father of the third century, put it this way. He cannot have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. What are, what are all these things saying? There's an intrinsic relationship between your relationship with God and your relationship with God's people. Church is paramount for your journey. C.S. Lewis further said this, daily prayers and religious reading and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. What are they saying? Church is important. Now, you got to qualify this. I want you to hear I want you to hear two things, okay? Okay, two things are important. Number one, don't hear performance. Don't hear performance. Don't you hear the author saying, you gotta be in the church to be saved, okay? He's not saying you gotta be a part of a church to be saved or to be a Christian, okay? Ask the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross will tell you, I was not a member at Saddleback. Didn't have time, I was kind of dying, but he still went to heaven, why? His trust was faith, it was in Jesus. So the author's not saying, that you got to be in church to be saved. He's not saying that a part of a church will save you. He's just saying being a part of a church will keep you. Secondly, don't hear performance, but secondly, don't hear building. I know it's hard. But when you think church, you're not supposed to think building, not biblically anyways. Church is not a building. The church is the people of God on mission for God to the glory of God. And wherever and through whatever mechanism that is happening, friend, that's church. It's not a building. It's a people. 
the people of God on mission for God to the glory of God. Church is happening right now. Can I get a sitting in my living room eating some some cornflakes while Ricky preaching witness? We're together on mission, the people of God to the glory of God. Church is happening on the plains and slums of Africa. Church is happening in the underground hideouts of China. Church is happening in all of these these methods that we have now online and in chat rooms. Church is happening right now in Ukraine. There's a picture of just this last week while Russians are attacking. Here's some believers are gathered together singing hymns and praying in a subway station while literally bombs are attacking overhead. Being the church, it's the people of God on mission for God to the glory of God. And in closing, I want to ask you to consider what it means for you to commit to being a part of God's church, whether it's this one or another. God wants you in a healthy, gospel-centered, biblical church. It's funny because every other institution and culture wants high buy-in, but is okay with low participation. Have you ever thought about this? Like Netflix probably has 100,000 videos, right, that they know not even 1% of their customers are going to invest in and watch. But, you know, I'm still a member of Netflix, hadn't watched even a tenth of everything they have. High buy-in, low participation. Airlines are the same way. They literally overbook every flight and they sell them to us. We have high buy-in, even though there's no guarantee they'll fly us. Lord Jesus knows this is true for gym memberships. Can I get a I hadn't been since New Year's Day witness up in here? High buy-in, low participation, but the church is not like culture. For the church, the buy-in came on Jesus. He bought our ticket. And now he calls us to participate so that we might be sustained in him. So if you've been planted, God calls you to a lifelong journey of remembering what you have, remembering what we do, and remembering how we do it as we gather together in and through the local church. I want to invite you now to consider this call to salvation. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, and today God says something to say, you know what, this is you, this is your family, this is what I want you to be about. I died for you, I I made a covenant for you, and I want you to receive that in faith. Would you simply whisper these words, Jesus, I thank you for what you've done for me on the cross. I thank you for dying for my sins and I confess that I'm a sinner and God, I'm really empty and undone without you. So Lord, Father, I thank you that you're God and you've made yourself known to me. God, I invite you to be the Lord of my life, to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins as I put my faith in what you've done for me on the cross when you died and on the resurrection when you rose again. And I make that truth, Lord God, the defining identity for my life. I'm yours, I'm saved, and I'm gonna live to be a Christian all the days of my life and enjoy heaven with you for all eternity. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, I wanna welcome you to the kingdom. And I want you to know that we're ready to show up for you as a church to facilitate your journey to your next step. There's information on screen. Just text SW Planet right through the number that you see there. A pastor's going to follow up with you to let you know how we're ready to love on you to facilitate your growth in Jesus. 
We love you so much and we thank you. We look forward to the next time. Until we meet again, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on each and every one of you and bring you peace. And I pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. See you next time.